The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Be seated as we continue to worship through the Word. We come to our second message in the fourth discourse, and the fourth discourse of Matthew. We've been going through the discourses where Jesus had these sections of teachings. Uh, Last week we saw that Jesus is teaching now on the characteristics that should uh, be consistent or true of his community. That when he calls his disciples to himself and he gathers them together, there's certain characteristics that should show forth in them. Last week, he, uh, he's the perfect community group leader as he calls a child to himself and, and he's dealing with his community group and he wants them to know that we should be humble like the child. We saw last week that the child has no authority of their own life. They submit completely to the authority of their father. The child does not get to determine where they go. They're not self-determining. And in a similar way, disciples of Jesus are submitting to the authority of God in their life. But we also saw that the community should not only be humble, but the community should also be holy. And so with that child, he continued the analogy, and he had some very fierce, scary words for us, some warnings. He said, do not ever cause your fellow disciple, represented by the child, do not ever cause your fellow disciple to sin. Do not cause them to stumble. And he talked about, Things like his wording was very precise. He said, if you cause one of your brothers to sin, it's, you should be thrown in the sea. But he didn't say the shallow end. He said the deepest, deepest part of the sea. And he didn't say a little rock. The word he chose was the, the biggest millstone you can find should be tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest part of the ocean. And so he's not playing around. And so why is Jesus so serious in his warnings about causing your brother or sister to sin? Well, presumed in these comments is the fact, the nature of the community. We call it the church. We call it the community of faith. Before the the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we we see Jesus meeting with his disciples. We text on the word church after Pentecost and as the spirit-filled believers start to gather and, and live as the community of faith. But what we see is the whole purpose of the community of faith, the whole essence of the church is to be the, the, the sheep are gathered together for their good. That we as believers are to promote godliness in one another's life. What we're going to see is today in the shepherd analogy is how there is great protection in the flock. We're all sheep. Sheep are not bright. And we all are prone to wander like sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray, the scripture says. And we continue to go astray. And so we see we need to be folded into the community of faith. And in the community of faith, where all the disciples have the spirit of God, there is a huge blessing to being in that place. That you provide a great support, a great protection, a great benefit to me as a member of this church. And I and all of us are to do the same for you. And so we see in the scriptures, the church is vitally important to the nourishing, the protection, the development, the health of the sheep or the disciples. And so that's presumed in Jesus' comments when he says, how dare you cause one to sin when the whole point of the church and the community and the flock is to help you not sin, 
to help you fight sin, to help you wage war with sin, to help you continue to believe the truth of God's word, to help you continue to believe what God's word says about you, that in Christ, if you have trusted in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ, then you are declared sinless. You are righteous. You are perfect in God's eyes. And these are all things that I need you to help me believe. And you need the rest of us to help you believe and to stay faithful in. And so we're continuing today along the same vein where Jesus says in verses 10 and following, this is what it should look like in the redemptive community of faith. Christ has redeemed us. He calls us to himself. He makes us a people. And he says, now this should be what it's like among my people. And we see it begins with, chapter 10, the need for the pastoral concern, that we should be characterized by a pastoral concern. Look what he says in verse 10 through 14. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Again, this is representative of disciples. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angel always see the face of my father who is in heaven. They are extremely valuable. Verse 12, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than he does over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of the least of these little ones should perish. So in these verses, we see that in the redemptive community of Jesus, in the the redeeming community, the church, every member has a level of responsibility to have a pastoral concern for the other members in the church. Oftentimes we tend to think that, oh, well, well, we pay Tracy to be the pastor or we have elders who are our pastors. And that is true. We certainly have that unique responsibility at a unique level. But what we see Jesus speaking to his disciples about how they should relate to their other disciples, he says that you should have the pastoral concern, pastoral care for one another. Using the analogy of the shepherd and the word pastor comes from the concept of a shepherd who leads and tends his flock. The shepherd makes sure that they're being fed on green pastures, makes sure they find still waters where they can go and drink. And it makes sure that they're being protected from wolves and from dangers and from injury and from harm. And, And all those ideas carry theological teachings in the scriptures. The wolves are false prophets in the scriptures and that they lead us to believe false doctrine and it leads try to lead us to follow false shepherds and to to not continue in the faith and so there's this idea that you as a member not a paid professional but you as a member share that responsibility and what Jesus is saying is that yes this is presumed that you understand this but the the emphasis here is not on the individual sheep to, to say you submit to that shepherding. The emphasis here in this text is to the individual sheep to say you should lean in and take responsibility for one another. That's where he's going in this passage. He's saying, listen, when you see one of the sheep drifting away, going astray, what is your attitude towards them? 
Do you despise them? Do you say, man, what is your problem? Do you say, get your life straight and don't bother me with your problems? That's that's the idea of despising them. He says, do not despise them. Instead, he says, be like the shepherd. And he asks the question, what does the shepherd do when he's got a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? At that point, I say, I have no idea what a shepherd does. I grew up in the city of Shreveport, never seen a shepherd. But I'll tell you what I've learned. He says, they leave the 99. Now, that's kind of counterintuitive to me. I'm like, well, we're doing pretty good. 99% an A, right? All right, I'm good. I got 99. That one, his problem. You know, he shouldn't have wandered off. Stupid sheep, right? Excuse me, kids. I've got to quit saying that. My kids have grown up. So now I'm like, not good with that, 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 that word. Silly sheep. Silly sheep. So, uh, so uh, look, all the parents are going, thank you. Every week I go home and clean up behind you, Pastor. So the silly sheep who wanders off by himself, you know, Jesus says the good shepherd does what? He leaves the 99 on the mountain and he goes and searches out that one. He goes to find that one. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying if you have a church of 100 members, you need to know and care and love every single one of those members. And if one of those members starts to stray, you don't say, I don't have time. You don't say, I'm focused on 99. We're doing pretty good. You seek them out. You have a heart that bears an authentic connection to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That every member of this body needs to have that pastoral concern for one another. It is not just the professional's job. It's not just your elder's job. It's all of our jobs. This is why every single member in this church signs a covenant, is in a community group, and we have an elder over that community group. We have leaders in that community group. And every member of this church is loved and cared for. And if one is starting to drift away, we are doing our best to say, hey, go get them. Go, go look after them. Go seek them out. Make sure that they are being cared for. So every member should have this pastoral concern for one another. And that pastoral concern is this idea that, that there is a protection in the flock. That if we see one wandering out, one going astray, we understand that membership in the church does not get you to heaven, but membership in the church is God's means of preserving us. The scripture says that we, if we're truly God's, that we will stay God's, that he never lets go of us. Jesus says that he's, he's praying to the Father and he says, of those you gave me, I have lost not one. But how does he not lose one sheep? It's by keeping them shepherded in the body of Christ. It's by getting his spirit-filled community, watching over them, praying over them, teaching the word, shepherding, promoting love, promoting faith, promoting good works. Because, listen, I'm going to tell you, if I wasn't a preacher, I would not be anywhere near the spiritual maturity that... What little I have now, it'd be a whole lot worse. 
Because I have to know every week I stand before you and before God and proclaim this is what God's word says. And that is a a terribly wonderful accountability. It forces me to be in the word of God week in and week out. Praying, God, help me. Because there's just my flesh. My tendency is just like you. Wednesday nights, 6.30 community group. So 6.40, we're heading to group. Ten minutes late. Going, how are we late again? And we're thinking, oh my goodness, I got too much to do. I got all this. And there's that sense of dread, but also that sense of excitement. That sense of love that I'm drawn to the community. And we all know that were it not for the community group that required me to, at worst, spend 15 minutes working through the questions before I come to group, or at best, having good quality, quiet times throughout the week, but even at worst, how how much a blessing that is in my life that I have that accountability that I have that encouragement, that I have brothers and sisters that that I know these guys, there's going to be a certain time in the night where we're going to pull together and we're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about what we're going through. We're going to pray for one another. They're going to encourage me to pray for missionaries and pray for the church and pray for the things going on. They're going to encourage me through that time to do things that I wouldn't do naturally. They're going to encourage me, keep believing the gospel, keep reminding me of the truth of the scriptures, keep being faithful, keep trusting the Lord, keep walking this path. God is faithful. And I'm going to tell you that apart from that, if you take two sheep every single time and you put one in a flock and you put one by himself, every single time, the one in the flock is going to be healthier than the one by himself. It's just the way God has designed it. We need the community of faith. We need one another watching with great love, great redeeming love, and great pastoral concern for one another. We must go after every single stray. He says, go in search of that one that went astray. Where do we get this from? We get this from the shepherd's heart himself, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ who left all the glories of heaven, emptied himself of the glories of heaven, the scripture says, considered it not something to be grasped unto, but to to let go of that and humble himself in order to serve us, even unto death, so that we might be made holy. That's the very essence of our God and the spirit whom he puts within us. And so if the spirit of that God lives within you, he creates within you similar desires. And we saw last week, that means that we humble ourselves and we promote godliness in others. And here we see that means even to the extent that we lean in when we see a brother or sister going astray. The protection, the benefit of the community of faith. So what does it mean when a sheep goes astray? In verse 15 through 20, we see the practical example. This is a, one of the example. This is one of the ways it looks. In verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. In these verses, this is one practical example of what it looks like when a sheep goes astray. In this case, 
He sinned against you personally or she has sinned against you personally. Now, what is your inclination when someone sins against you? I think of two, two, two reactions. Some of us, I, I think most of us probably are just, would rather just not confront it. Let's just not deal with this. Let's just avoid conflict. You know, it's no big deal. I'm just going to sit there and go home and talk bad about them at my house. But I'll get over it. Some of us, instead of feeling like we don't want to avoid it, some of us need to hear a different warning. Like, we love confrontation and we love to confront. That's a whole other sin. We'll talk about that in another sermon. But in this case, the point is, how do you respond? What Jesus is saying is, you lean in. You get involved. You care enough that you actually deal with the problem, you deal with the issue. Now, there's lots of guidance, lots of warnings, lots of wisdom that needs to be surrounding that process of you should be, like the scripture says, deal first with the, the log in your own eye so that you're in a place where you can humbly address the sin in a brother's eye and that you should do it with much prayer, much compassion, much forgiveness. The spirit of Christ and humility should reign. It should be for redeeming redeeming and re- reconciliation. It should be to build up and restore, knowing that I am a sinner in this community, that this community is not made of people who've, who've achieved some religious elite status and so we look down with judgment on others instead it's it's a group of people who understand i am the worst of sinners and only by the grace of god am i here and so that with that sense of of humility we we come to one another but the point of this text is you come to your brother when he's in sin when he sins against you loving the sheep when you come to them, you love them to, to see them healed. You don't come to them, beat them, and cripple them for the rest of their life. You come to mend and to restore and to place them on your shoulders and bring them to a place of health and restoration. So, for example, if I had an anger problem, you've seen it flare up. What's the most loving thing you can do? Do you say, well, I'm not going to go to the pastor? I'll let someone else deal with that. Is that loving to me? That's the worst thing you could do to me. I mean, how bad would it be for you to leave me alone and not care enough to come in all the protective ways I've described, lovingly come and say, Tracy, I need to talk to you about something. This is hard, but I want to talk to you about it. If you didn't, what might happen? Think about the devastation that could happen in my life. I could go on and the anger could grow and grow and I could have serious problems. I could do great damage to my family and friends. I could lose my job. And you didn't care enough to tell me that you saw that I'd gotten to the point of having an anger problem? If you love me, you'll come to me and and talk to me about it. And so that's the idea. That's the spirit of this whole process is that it's all about what's best, it's about what's redeeming, it's about what's edifying, it's about what's building up, it's about what's promoting holiness and godliness in one another's lives, it's about caring enough to do the uncomfortable thing, to, to, to speak truth in love. For some of us, the generations, it depends on the generation, that's, that's harder than, than others. Some generations are taught, you just don't talk about that stuff. That's just private. You don't deal with that. But what if you come to me and I don't listen? 
What if you say, Tracy, I'm really concerned. I think you might have an anger problem. I say, I think you're just sensitive. <laughs> what, do you, what do we do about that? Well, let's see. Verse 16 says, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them, or it will be ratified by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So what's going on in these verses? What we see in these verses, again, if you understand the context of humility, all redeemed by the love of God, by the grace of God, not some meritorious status where I've achieved some righteousness by my deeds and I'm looking down at you. That, if you have that mindset, if you have a religious hierarchy of man, members are all that and they think they're all that and they're looking down at me, this is a nasty scene. But if you have a humble, redemptive attitude that I am here only by the grace of God and that I value and that I am submitting to you, I am voluntarily putting my life in front of you to say, hey, will you help me watch my blind spots? Would you help speak truth in my life? Keep me in the protecting community of the, of the saints with that attitude. You come to me and I say, I think you're just too sensitive. I don't think I have an anger problem. Then what do you do next? You get friends that we have and that we trust and we know and in the community. And you say, is it me? Am I being too sensitive or, or is this a genuine concern? And they may say, man, you're just too sensitive. And I hope that's the case. It's your problem, not mine. But if not, they may say, no, I, we've kind of noticed that. And we've been praying about talking to them too. Let's go, let's go talk to them. In love, you come together, we go to lunch, and we talk. And Lord will, and you've, you've opened my eyes to a blind spot. And you've spared me from a lot of problems, a lot of potential heartache, a lot of sin against my kids or my family, a lot of sin against the church. And you've done me a great service and we celebrate and we, we, we rejoice that you've been such a blessing in my life. Yeah, the first time you bring it up to me, I'm not going to like it. I didn't see it. And now it's painful. But when it's done right, it's a glorious picture of the blessing that the church can be for one another. But if, and then you see the idea, the pattern is, you take it until you get to the point where if worse, to make it easier to see... Let's, let's use the example now of serious, unrepentant sin. Not someone struggling. Yeah, I need help with my anger. I'm struggling with that. We walk with that person as long as they are, are fighting that sin. But the person who is in rebellion, who is, let's now say, I'm, I'm abusive. You, you see me gotten to the point where I'm verbally abusive to my family. I'm verbally abusive to people in my life. And, and the church is trying to deal with me. And I am just unrepentant and I am not willing to see it. I am not willing to deal with it. I am in a place of hardened, unrepentant, stubborn rebellion. Then yes, you're doing me a service. If you say, Tracy, we've walked with you for years now and you refuse to look at this or whatever the time frame may be. The point is you've tried and tried 
to, to help me to see. And you've gotten to the point where you can no longer affirm that I'm walking or even trying to walk with the Lord. That I'm just in a state of rebellion. The most loving thing you can do at that point is say, we can no longer grant you the privilege of being in this community because you are abusing the grace. You are not faithfully honoring God's name. And even then, if you, if you get to that point, you say, now, trust Christ. We love you. You start trying to reach me for Christ. It's not saying I'm done with you, now be lost. It's saying, listen, repent and believe, trust Christ, throw yourself on the mercies of God. We are all fellow sinners just like you. So that's what he's detailing a process of saying, the church is a tremendous blessing in our lives. It's the protection like a sheep needs a flock. I need you to speak truth in my life. I need you to remind me of the gospel. I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to encourage me because every day I wake up, there's a part of me that wants to go the other way. And it's just such a blessing to have that terribly wonderful accountability that the church provides. Now, there's a few verses I want to just untangle. And I got tangled up in the early service trying to untangle these verses. So I hope I don't do that again. 18, 19, and 20. 18 says, What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. In 19 it says, Where two of you gather... Where, where other, excuse me, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father. That sounds... Like, if I can get you to agree with me, we can ask anything in prayer and we're going to get it. Well, that's not what it means. The scriptures have been very clear that prayer must be aligned with the will of God. And when it is aligned with the will of God, God answers according to his will. But what is he saying? D.A. Carson goes through the Greek and it gets very deep. I don't want to go, I don't have time to go through the depths of it. But the idea here is the two or three agreeing together are the, the two or three people that you got together to talk to me about my sin. And so I'm refusing to see it. And the two or three believers are lovingly agreeing. They've prayed about it. They searched the scriptures about it. And through the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit in reading the word of God, they collectively have come to the point where the scriptures and God has made it clear. This is sin. And so it's not me against you. It's me having to say, well, Jesus is in this church and the Spirit of God is in this church. And so the collective body led by the Spirit of God, reading the Word of God and praying, God, give us wisdom. We believe this is the right answer here. Me as an individual, I have one response. Submit to the authority of Christ that is given to the church. That's completely contrary to our culture. Our culture thinks that the individual has authority and tells the church to submit, and I decide whether I like this church or not. And that's not God's word. Again, it's the inverted value system that we see in God's kingdom. Jesus says, in my kingdom... Every believer of the church has the spirit and they are to come together and come to agreement on these difficult matters. And if the church is speaking truth into my life about my abusive anger problem and I don't want to hear it, I need to hear it. I need to submit and be thankful that you guys love me enough to say, Tracy, 
this is a serious problem. And, and what happens if, by God's grace, I hear your warning, I hear your, your rebuke, I hear your word to me, and I repent, and I seek counsel, and I find healing. What a great blessing. What a great service you've provided me. Think about how you've served my family. Think about how you've served the church that God has put me in leadership over. And this is true. I use the example of myself because these are hard truths and I want you to think about me this way because I'm just as equal as you are in this, in the same boat. But what Jesus is saying that is my disciples submit to the protective, rebuking, encouraging word of the body of Christ because it's good for them. But the instructions again here are not so much to the individual to submit to that. In this case, the instructions are more to each one of you to lean in and provide that. To say, I will seek out my brother who is going astray, who is in sin, and I will love them well. I won't avoid that. That's what we need to remember when we're a community group. It's not a time to just put on airs and and go through the motions. It's a time to be a place of strongly loving and encouraging one another. So in the redemptive community, we must have a pastoral concern for one another that's willing to lean in and hold each other accountable and to encourage one another and to see the sin that's in our blind spots. Finally, we see in the last verses that in all of this, we must be guided by what I'm calling the pardon principle. In verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus, this dude has done this not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, by six times. Surely seven's a biblical number, right? Can't I stop and give him seven times and you're done? Jesus says, nope, 70 times seven or 77 times, he says. So Jesus is telling us we must... Offer forgiveness as often as is needed. This is the pardon principle. He tells the parable, which I read during our earlier portion of our worship, that, that a man who, was, who had a huge debt to his master came and, and was about to get hammered because he couldn't pay his debt. And he says, oh, forgive me, please be patient with me. And his master says, okay, I forgive you. He had like a thousand, I mean, a big debt. And then he, the one who had just been given much grace, much mercy, much forgiveness, then goes and right after that bumps into someone who owes him money and not even near as much money. And he says, look, you owe me. And he says, well, please forgive me. Be merciful. Be gracious. And he starts to choke him out. He says, no, pay your debts. That's ridiculous. The guy just had been given such grace, turns and is vicious towards someone who owes him. And the point of that parable is in verse 33. And should not you have mercy? Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? How much has Jesus forgiven you? Seven times? 
wrong. That was just this morning. <laughs> seven times, seven times, seven times, seven times, seven times, seven times. That's how often you've got to forgive me as you seek to restore me. See, there's no contradiction here. Forgiveness does not mean you don't lean in and try to help me, but it means you don't hold resentment and grudge and bitterness that does nothing but eat you alive and destroy community. Is that easy to do? Absolutely not. Sometimes I'm not really asking you for forgiveness, but you still need to forgive me. And so this is what's unique about the redemptive community of God. The followers of Jesus, they know they have been completely pardoned. And that should be the principle that guides their interaction with one another. That I will forgive you. I will not hold this against you as I seek to, by God's grace, promote holiness and grace and goodness in your life. And as you do the same for me. So when we pull all this together, we see the redemptive community of disciples is filled with the Spirit of God who has forgiven them and transformed them such that they have a genuine pastoral concern for one another that moves them to be willing to lean in lovingly, redemptive love, to deal with sin that's in blind spots and to do so with with a complete spirit of grace and mercy, and unlimited forgiveness. Let it be true of our church. Father God, would you make us that type of people? Lord, I can't think of a more beautiful place to be than to be in a church where your redeeming love, your redeeming grace and forgiveness reigns, that we are helping each other be faithful and beautiful brides of yours. Lord, may we have the attitude that's in you that would we leave the 99 in order to pursue that one who needs your redeeming grace. We pray we'll do all this for your, for your glory and for our good. It's in Christ precious name that we sing. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.